Good morning. Um, if you're here last week, uh, I just want you to know I have cough drops in my pocket. So we should not have a repeat of that disaster. Maybe another disaster, but not that one. Oh boy, I've been reliving that all week. It was horrible. If you don't know what happened, just ask somebody. They'll tell you. Uh, I'm really excited to dive into week three of our Scent series. And what I hope happens as we go through this series is that you hear this over and over again enough till you start to actually believe it. Like you hear these words that you are sent um, over and over again until you actually start to believe it. Have, has that ever happened to you? Like there's something that you heard, the first time you heard it, you were like, that, that can't be right, that can't be true. And then you just keep hearing it over and over again. And finally, after the hundredth time, you're like, all right, I'm in, I get it. It's, it's like every, uh, this time every year when you start to hear people say, next year the culture is just gonna be great. And if you hear it over and over again, you might actually start to believe it, right? And that's why we turn it on when the, when the first game comes on in the fall, right? So what I hope you hear is this truth that God has sent you to the people around you to show them love in a kind of way that makes them think about Jesus and turn to God, right? So that's what we, we believe that, that God has sent us to do. And what I want you to know today is that he has not sent you to do it alone, because I think when we hear that, if you're a Jesus follower, if you've been following Jesus for a month or you know, 20 years, there's this sense of like fear when, when we think about um, talking to other people about Jesus. We kind of go, I don't, I'm not qualified for that. I'm, you know, but what we really just need is some help, right? We just really need some help. There's a lot of things in my life that I'm not qualified to do on my own and should not do on my own. And I've learned this, I should not do my taxes on my own. I've had some bad experiences. And so now I have a skilled professional do my taxes for me because I just should not do that on my own. Um, I shouldn't try to do art. I shouldn't try to create things uh, artistically on my own. That's why I had these signs made. Um, if you look back above the doors here, you can turn around, it's cool. Um, above the doors, we have new signs that say, you are sent. Um, I didn't make those because they, they look nice. You know that, right? Uh, Marika made those and Nikki, I think, helped out. So I, I go and find people that are good at the things I'm not good at. And so when we think about like, okay, if I'm sent to love my neighbors in a way that points them to Jesus, I don't really know how to do that. Maybe I should, instead of just bailing out on that task, go and find somebody who's good at it to help me. So here's the good news. God is pretty good at it and he has offered to help you. So our goal today is to see how God wants to partner with us in our mission of being sent and how we can kind of step into that partnership. So here's, here's kind of the first thing I think we need to embrace before we start to really believe on a daily basis that God wants to, to work in my life. Um, we need to believe in supernatural power. Does that sound obvious? Does that sound like, why do you think we're here, Adam? I mean, obviously we believe in supernatural something or we wouldn't be here, or we're at least interested, or at least curious about supernatural things. I mean, isn't our whole faith based on a supernatural event, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? Yeah, absolutely. The problem is, I think most of us kind of leave the supernatural in the past. We, we kind of think, well, yeah, God, God does miracles. I mean, he, at least he did miracles. That was a long time ago. I haven't seen miracles. It's not happened to me. It's not happened for me. So our belief in the supernatural power of God kind of ebbs and flows, and sometimes it's just really low, and we're not... It's, we're not thinking about it. We're not expecting miracles. So what I wanna do is just give you a way, a little nudge for how you can recapture your belief in the supernatural so that when we talk about God partnering with you to do things that are beyond what you can do, you, you kind of get like how that's possible. So I think what we have to do is recapture some wonder about God, 
some wonder and awe, some of that childlike wonder. You know the childlike wonder when um, you, you do your, your card trick for the four-year-old and they're like, oh, how in the world did you, or you pull the quarter out from behind their ear and there's just that wonder of like, how is this possible? Like that's how I want us to think about God. I think that's how we should think about God because he does things that seem impossible, Right? And one of my favorite uh, ways to, to remind myself of that is to look up images from the James Webb Space Telescope. Or for those of us who are kind of geeks, it's just JWST, right? Or James Webb. And so these are from the James Webb. This is kind of a new space telescope. If you don't know about this, you need to look it up. You're like, oh, I know about Hubble. This is not Hubble. This is not your grandfather's telescope, space telescope, okay? This is the James Webb, and it just takes different kind of images. I won't go into the science of it all because I don't know. So uh, here's what I know is that these images are not been filtered or doctored in any way. These are just snapshots from a space camera. Isn't that amazing? Like, what in the world? Yes, it is. Thank you. What in the world is going on in space where humans haven't been able to see this like this for thousands of years of human history? And because of science, which I love science, because science helps us sometimes open our eyes to how awesome God is. And so, man, I just, I love this kind of technology that has developed to a point where I look at that and I go, I don't know how he did it. And you can take your pick of the theories of how God did it, but man, it's hard to get around the fact that God did that. And he did it in a way that we look at and go, that is incredible. It's just beautiful. It's hard to imagine when you look up at the night sky and what you see is the ambient light from Indy, um, that that is out there somewhere, right? Isn't it amazing? Uh, we need to recapture some of that wonder of who God is and what he's able to do. And I think we can capture that through science. I think we can capture that through talking to children. Some of you are like, I try to avoid that. No, you got to talk to children because children have this sense of wonder about the world and this desire to ask questions and they don't have any filters and we find that so refreshing. And there are times when we go, I just want to be like a four-year-old again. I just want to see the world the way children see the world and recapture our sense of wonder of God. Because when we have this sense of wonder of God, and then the preacher says, God wants to partner with you to do things that are beyond your abilities, we kind of go, all right. Like, if he can do that, I'm in. If he can make bumblebees and flowers in the human eyeball, like, okay, I'm in. I don't know how he does all that, but I'm in. I believe it. That's what I want us to start with. So then we, when we believe that God does supernatural things still today and wants to do those with us, uh, we have this opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit in fulfilling our purpose. And our purpose is that we have been sent to the people around us to love them in such a way that they look to Jesus. They start to turn to God, right? Um, so we want to partner with the Holy Spirit. I want to show you what that looks like in the life of uh, a person from Acts chapter 8. And then we'll talk about what that can look like for us um, in practical terms, things that we can do today to partner with the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 8, uh, we're going to read about Philip. Um, real quick refresher. Uh, we talked about this a few months ago. Acts is uh, sort of built on a thesis statement that we find in chapter 1, verse 8. And the thesis statement is, Jesus says to his disciples, his followers, the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to work with you, and you're going to take this good news about me to Jerusalem, to all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the thesis statement for the book of Acts. And the rest of the book is just this happening, just seeing the Holy Spirit work with the disciples of Jesus to take the good news of Jesus everywhere. And this is a part of, this is an important part of that story, what we're going to look at in Acts 8 
today. So Philip is a person who's, he's one of the first deacons of the church. Deacon was a, a position. They elected some people to serve in this role. And one of the qualifications was we want people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So they found Philip filled with the Holy Spirit and he's a deacon and now he's, he's taking the good news about Jesus. He's fulfilling that mission statement from uh, Acts 1.8 and he's taking the good news about Jesus all over the place. So we're gonna read, I'm actually not gonna read from, I'm gonna read from the screen because my notes in here are wrong. Anyway, uh, you don't need to know all that. <laughs> Oversharing. Okay, uh, Acts 8.26. If you see something underlined, uh, please read that aloud with us. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Okay, so if this is a weird story. If you're not a Bible person, you're like, what in the world is going on here? First, an angel shows up to Philip, and most of us are like, well, that's not fair. Like, if an angel showed up to me, I would be a lot more obedient to God, right? I don't get visits from angels. Well, let's give Philip a little bit of credit. The angel doesn't give him a lot to go on. He just says, go to this road in the middle of the desert. Would you have questions about that? I'm sure Philip did too, but he just did it. He obeyed. So he knows that God wants to partner with him in doing stuff. So when God says go, he just goes. So he meets this guy who uh, is identified as uh, an Ethiopian, a servant to the queen of Sheba or Ethiopia, and he is uh, a eunuch. So that's significant. That's a significant part of the story. First of all, this guy is as different from Philip as, as could be imagined. And Philip is different from us. By the way, I just hope we recognize they're not, I mean, if you're a white American, there are not a lot of people in the Bible that look like you, okay? Uh, so Philip doesn't, the Ethiopian doesn't. Uh, these are very different people. And so uh, Philip meets this guy and he's, he's identified in a way that makes us understand he's got a lot of power. He, he's in a, a high position. He's got some wealth or access to wealth because he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And this was not something you could get on Amazon Prime. It, you, you had to be wealthy to own a part of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And so the, the Ethiopian has that and he's a eunuch, but he's gone to worship God in Jerusalem. So something about the God of the Israelites has drawn him in. He wants to worship this God, but there is a law in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 23.1, that says eunuchs cannot enter into the temple. They're not allowed in to that space. They're not really allowed to draw close to God, but he goes anyway. And I wonder if it's because maybe he's read this scroll of Isaiah, because in Isaiah chapter 56, there is a passage where Isaiah predicts that there's a day coming when eunuchs will not only be allowed in, they will be honored in the temple. I wonder if he read that and he thought, I can't wait. Maybe that day is coming. I wanna be here when that day comes. Because people like me who haven't been allowed in are gonna be allowed in someday. So maybe he read that. And so he goes to the temple to worship. And now he's reading from Isaiah 53, which is a passage that we would call the suffering servant, where Isaiah is describing this person who is going to suffer on behalf of God's people, right? And uh, let's pick up there with uh, what, what happens after uh, he tells Philip, this is what he's, um, this is what he's reading. <coughs> Uh-oh. Okay, verse 34, I'm still reading from the screen. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? 
As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Okay, so he's reading this passage about the suffering servant, and he asks Philip, who was standing there because the Holy Spirit go, said, go talk to that guy. And he's like, okay. Um, and he says, who is, who is Isaiah talking about? Is he, is he talking about himself or someone else um, when he's talking about the one who's gonna suffer on behalf of Israel? And Isaiah's like, God, thank you. That's a softball. I can, I can hit that one out of the park. That's about Jesus. So he just launches in to this, the good news about Jesus from that starting point. And the, the, way, the way the Holy Spirit works in the heart of the Ethiopian, he responds, he wants to be baptized And he goes on his way, essentially taking the gospel to Ethiopia. He becomes kind of a missionary and envoy and ambassador of the good news of Jesus to Ethiopia, fulfilling then what we see in Acts 1-8, that the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth, right? And then we get this weird uh, phrase that you guys read, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know if he teleported him back to Jerusalem or if he just kind of grabbed him by the earlobe and said, let's get out of here. I I don't know what that means, but there is this very clear partnership between the Holy Spirit and Philip. And Philip's all in on it. He's all in. Whatever the Holy Spirit says to do, go, go talk to this stranger. Okay, let's go somewhere else now. Okay, I'm in. Because he gets to be a part of something amazing. He keeps showing up places. The Holy Spirit does something amazing. And Philip's like, that was awesome. Let's do that again. And the, and the Spirit says, well, let's go somewhere else and do that. And he's, that was awesome. I, I want to live like that. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Philip. And I just want to live in such a way where God says, go there. And I go there and do something and something amazing happens. And I go, let's do that again. I, was like, I, just want to, I just want to live that way. I want to be like Philip. And that's what God has invited us into, this incredible partnership. He says, you have been sent to love the people around you in a way that, that reveals the good news about Jesus and draws their heart to Christ and I'm gonna go with you. Let's do it together. So how do we do that? How do we step into this partnership with the Holy Spirit? So three uh, steps that we can take that I think are important, and we, these all take practice. So if you're not familiar with these steps, you haven't done these things before, just know it's just start, and you'll get better at it as you go. First one is to pray, then we're gonna learn to obey, and then we're gonna trust. We're gonna pray, obey, and trust, okay? So um, anybody shocked that I'm saying that you should pray? You're like, no, that seems normal. We're at church. People pray. This is what we talk about. But we need to pay attention to how we pray too. So as you read the Bible, this is one thing I want to encourage you to do. Whenever somebody is praying or talking about praying or telling other people to pray, pay attention to what's happening there. What are people praying about? What are they doing? What is their posture? Like what kind of words do they use? What do they ask for? What are they, what is happening when people pray in scripture? And we can learn a lot from that. So we're going to learn some things about prayer from some passages Uh, from Jesus and Paul uh, here in a moment. The first uh, way that we're commanded to pray, we're gonna talk about today, is we're gonna pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is from Ephesians chapter one, uh, which we read part of earlier, Summer did, when we were praying earlier. And uh, here's what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father... so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy temple and his, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul says, pray for this spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So you can be better witnesses? No. So, so you can sharpen your skills as an evangelist? No. So you can be more successful as, you know, you go out and tell people? No. Why do you need a spirit of wisdom and revelation? So you can know Jesus. Just, he said, I just want you to know Jesus better. I just want you to know Jesus better because if you know Jesus better, then when your opportunity comes and somebody says, what is going on in Isaiah 53? You're gonna go, I know. I know exactly who he's talking about in Isaiah 53. That's Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. And the more we know Jesus, then when those opportunities come, we're gonna be fine. So Paul says, pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so you'll just know Christ. You'll know Christ. The end game is not to be a great evangelist, not to be a great share of your faith. That's not the end game. The end game is to know Jesus. And what we do along the way is we share what we know with other people. All right. Second thing we're going to pray for is help from others. We're going to pray for help from others. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. Let's look at this from Matthew chapter 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus tells his disciples, look around. Guys, there, there's a lot of people out there that need to hear the good news. You're not gonna be able to do this by yourself. You 12 guys are not gonna be able to do this by yourself. You need to pray that God will send some people. And when I look around at our church family and I recognize kind of what's, what's the state of, of our part of the county, I, I can tell you we're not gonna be able to do this by ourselves. We're not. Um, <clears throat> the numbers are still about the same as they, they have been for the last... Oh, five or seven years that I've been following the numbers for Northern Hamilton County. And uh, that is how, how people, me- how they measure, like if somebody's a Christian or not, which they use kind of different standards than probably what you and I would use. But if somebody attends church regularly and regular church attendance equals more than twice a year, okay? So if, if this is your third time so far this year, you're a regular church attender, congratulations. You can skip out the rest of the year and still be a regular church attender. Isn't that great? But for the purposes of the survey, if you attend more than twice a year, more than Christmas and Easter is kind of what they're doing, then you're a regular attender. 50% of the people in Northern Hamilton County attend church regularly by that definition. And the other 50% do not. Does that surprise you? Northern Hamilton County, those are the numbers. Guys, we cannot do this by ourselves. We're gonna need some help. So we need to pray that God would send people to help us. This is what I've been praying about. I've been meeting with... um, uh, a pastor who's from Argentina, his name is uh, Nicholas Zarate, Pastor Zarate, uh, who has a couple churches in Noblesville where he um, just teaches with, uh, has churches for Hispanic people. And we don't have one of those in Northern Hamilton County. And so I've been, I've been talking to Pastor Zarate about like, what can we do for Spanish speaking people in Northern Hamilton County? And he said, well, why don't we pray? I was like, that's a great idea. Uh, so we've been praying together that God would raise somebody up who can help us provide worship gatherings and churches for people who um, speak Spanish in our part of the county. And so I invite you to pray along. That I shared that in the first service and somebody came to me afterwards and says, I think I know somebody. So I'm like, this is amazing. So I'm gonna be following up with somebody this week, but please keep praying about that. That's, that's what we gotta do. We gotta pray that God would send people who are different from us because there are people in this county who are different from you and it may take somebody different for us to reach them. So we're gonna pray for help. Uh, Third, we're gonna pray for an open door for the gospel. 
This is uh, Paul writing to the church in uh, Colossae. Chapter four, verse two, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. This is fascinating. So Paul is in chains, he's in jail, and he's praying for a door to open. If you were in jail, which door would you be praying would open? The one that you're locked behind, right? God, get me out of jail. Paul's not, he doesn't deserve to be there. But what door is he praying to open? A door to share the gospel. I just want myself and the people around me to have more and more opportunities to show the love of God to the people around us so they can turn to Jesus. That's the kind of open door we should be praying for. So I pray for you that you would pray for God to open doors for you to share the gospel with people around you. And uh, fourth, nope, yep, I don't know. Boldness, we're gonna pray for boldness. Uh, Here's another amazing story. This is in Acts chapter four. Peter and John, chapter three, Peter and John go to the temple. They heal uh, a lame man and a crowd gathers because that's what happens when you heal somebody in public. And they preach to the crowd and they tell the crowd, Jesus rose from the dead. Well, then they get called into the principal's office. The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders are like, you can't say that. And they're like, try and stop us. And they say, okay, it's on. And so the same people that sort of authorized the death of Jesus are now telling Peter and John, we're, we're coming to get you. If you're gonna preach about the resurrection of Jesus, we're coming to get you. So Peter, they let him go. Peter and John go back to the other disciples and they say, persecution is coming. And the disciples go, we should pray. Yeah, what do they pray about when they realize persecution is coming? This is from Acts 4, 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and... Is that what you would pray if I stood up here and said, persecution is coming for you? Is that what you would pray? Or would your prayer be more like mine? Uh, Please no. God, please, no persecution. Rescue us, save us, get us, uh, visas to Canada, something. But like, please, no persecution. This is not what they pray. And I don't think it's what we should pray either. They pray instead for boldness. God, whether there's persecution or not, our job doesn't change. Give us boldness to tell people about the love of Christ everywhere we go, every day, no matter what. Oh man, that's a, that's a, that's a bold prayer, right? Pray for boldness. So we're going to pray uh, for, for wisdom to know Christ, for help from others, an open door for the gospel, and boldness. And then we're going to act with courage. So the second thing is that we're going to obey. We're going to pray and obey and then trust. This is something that just takes practice. When we, when we believe that the Holy Spirit is partnering with us, then we, we just obey things and we, we learn if, if that was the Holy Spirit or not and we learn uh, what obedience looks like. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, uh, almost all the time it's uncomfortable and it stretches us and, and, and grows us. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I called a guy I hadn't talked to in a while and just said, hey, just wanna check in, see how you're doing. And he was like, I'm doing terrible. I'm doing terrible. I had a big conflict, big fight with my family. My wife just had a miscarriage. I'm doing terrible. I was like, well, let's get together. So we got together, had breakfast. And he said, uh, who told you to call me? Did, did my mom tell you to call me? I was like, no. Did my wife call you and tell you? I was like, no. Who told you to call me? I was like, nobody. Well, I guess maybe the Holy Spirit told me to call you. He was like, well, that makes sense because it was perfect timing. That was the moment where I needed a phone call. I was like, well, 
God's timing is pretty good in my experience, so let's just give that credit to him. So here's what I wish happened. I wish every time somebody's name came to my mind, I called them. I don't do that every time, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I obey, and when I do, uh, this happens so much. People say, man, that was was just the right timing, And, and it's like suspicious, like, what do you know? Are you watching me? Are you far, far? Are you, are you stalking me? Um, but no, the Holy Spirit cares about my friend, put his name on my mind, and so I called him. And that's that. just learning to obey that. And guys, I'm, I got a lot of room to grow in that. I don't do it every time, but I'm learning to obey that whenever I sense the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of ways that the Holy Spirit might guide you uh, or nudge you or invite you into something. I just wanna encourage you, just do it and see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? I call my friend and he's fine. Is that bad? I don't think so, right? So like, just do it, just act with obedience and see what God does. Okay, that's obeying. Finally, we're gonna trust the Holy Spirit to do his part. So there is a part to sharing the good news with people that is not our job. There's a part that's not our job. And that is conversion. That is somebody going from not being a Jesus follower to being a Jesus follower. That is not our job. When we see what Philip does in Acts chapter eight, what is his job? The Holy Spirit says, go to this road. So he goes. The Holy Spirit says, go up and talk to that guy. So he goes up and talks to him. And then the Holy Spirit sort of takes over at that point. And whatever happens is sort of mysterious, but somehow this guy goes from not knowing who Jesus is to wanting to be baptized into Christ. That was the Holy Spirit working with that guy. Philip didn't have anything to do with that. He he did his part but the Holy Spirit does the life change and we need to be really clear about what our job is. Our job is not to change people because we can't. And nobody really likes that anyway if you come at them with this agenda to change them. Do people like, do you like that when somebody does that to you? Not really. Man, that's the Holy Spirit's sweet spot. So I wanna explain a little bit of what that might look like. So we have a, 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 a different picture of this in our minds. I'll try to do this quickly. So the way we often define uh, what it means to be a Christian, we use what would be known in kind of sociology as a bounded set mentality. So I'll explain this. This is probably new language. Bounded set means that there are these clearly defined rules that decide, you know, how close you are to the center. And if you're close to the center, you're in. And if you're not close to the center, you're out. So for Christianity, the way we do this sometimes, we would say is, is, well, there's some beliefs that you have to have in order to be close to the center and be in. So you have to believe that, you know, believe in God. You have to believe in Jesus and heaven and hell and um, that you need Jesus in order to go to heaven. And that's, that's sort of kind of some of the rules that we create and say, if you believe those things, if you're willing to say those things out loud, then you're probably close to God and you're in. And if you don't believe those things, then you're probably not close to God and you're out. This is not how the New Testament talks about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. Um, what we see is more of a centered set, which kind of fits our uh, phrase that we, we use here a lot. If you've been around a while, you've heard me say, this is about direction, not perfection. This is what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about direction. So what the Holy Spirit does is turns people's hearts to Jesus so that they wanna be Jesus-centered. They wanna move in the direction of Jesus-centered living. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is doing that with people that from our perspective seem to be far away from God. We would look at them and we would say, they're not interested. They're not curious. They don't want to know God. They're far away. Just look at their life. You know, look at their tattoos. They don't want to know, they don't want to know about God. And we we make all these judgment calls about people and say, well, they must be far from God. When the Holy Spirit is just working to orient them in his direction. 
It's not about people like fitting into our little set of rules that we've created about what people have to believe and how many times they have to go to church and how often are you allowed to cuss and like what does it mean to be a good husband and father according to our little set of rules. If people's hearts are oriented toward Jesus, that's all we're looking for. That's all, that's all God wants is just turn your heart to me. Move in the direction of Jesus. That's what God is looking for and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He turns people who were moving away from Jesus to turn and move toward him. Not our job, and we gotta trust him to do his job, and we gotta kind of step back from making judgment calls about whether people are in or out according to our definitions and let the Holy Spirit do his work. We're gonna do our part, right? We are absolutely gonna do our part, which is to share the gospel with our words and actions in clear, convincing, compassionate terms. And then we're gonna let the Holy Spirit do his part. Take our hands off of that, all right? So that's a little bit of what it looks like to partner with the Holy Spirit. I wanna invite you to step into that this week. Uh, be praying, uh, look for opportunities to obey and uh, think about what it means to trust the Holy Spirit to do his job. But here's what I want you to embrace is, is this truth that you are sent. You are sent to the people in your life. Maybe it's just one right now. Maybe let's just start small. Maybe it's just one person that you're sent to to show the love uh, of Jesus Christ to in a way that points them to Jesus. Now, you may be here thinking, I don't even know if I'm all in with Jesus, much less that I wanna be telling other people about Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. This is, this is, I would, there's no place I'd rather you be because what we're talking about is the reason why we would get out of our comfort zone, take the risk, be uncomfortable in sharing Jesus with somebody is because we are so convinced that life with Jesus is what we were made for. And so if you're not sure yet, I'm convinced this is what you're made for. You were made for life with Jesus. And I just invite you to lean in. Just as we talk about this and you feel maybe a little like an outsider in your heart because you're not sure where you're at, that's fine. Just lean in, just listen, absorb, think about it and just ask some questions, some honest questions. Like if this is true, that the son of God died for my sins and rose from the dead and has invited me into a kingdom where he is bringing and healing and wholeness to the world. Is it, if that's true, is that something I wanna be a part of? Is that, is that something that, that could help me become who I, I really think I'm supposed to be? I just invite you to lean in. If you are a Jesus follower, then this is really not negotiable. You know I mean, this is, you just, you, this is what you signed up for. Whether somebody told you this when you became a Christian or not, this is what you signed up for. This is part of the job. And I wanna help you learn how to do it in a way that, um, that you find fulfilling and meaningful and stretching and challenging. And so we're gonna do that over the next few weeks. We're gonna get really practical in this. So you are sent maybe to one. We're defining this one person as somebody that you know personally. So it's not like a friend of a friend of a friend. It's somebody who is local to you. Uh, so they don't, they don't live far away. And it's somebody that you will arrange your schedule to spend time with, okay? So you're not gonna rely on chance encounters, but you're gonna be intentional about spending time with them. And what you do when you spend time with them, we'll talk about it more, but it's not that complicated. We're just gonna talk about how to love people well, right? And it's not that complicated. So I want to invite you to do that. Um, as we close, would you stand? <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to do something weird. Uh, you're like, oh no. Uh, what, what I want you to do is turn around and look at the sign above the door that you're going to leave through. Whatever door you're going to leave, just turn around and look at that sign. It says, you are sent. And uh, as we pray, I just want you to ask yourself, do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you do, then as you go under that door, I mean, that's the mission. 
From, from the moment you leave this place, you're sent. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this chance to just dive into your word, to learn and grow together. Um, I thank you that you have invited us into this incredible um, mission of yours to draw people to your son, Jesus. And I pray, God, that as we do this, we find that you step in and you cover for our weaknesses and, and our ignorance and our mistakes, and you are gentle and patient and kind with us, and that your heart is for the people that don't know you. And may we join you in that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go and be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Christ.